beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied unto thee from God the Father, and from Jesus Christ our Lord, through the operation of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Number 348. <clears throat> With joy and gladness in my soul, I hear the call to prayer. Let us go up to God's own house and bow before him there and bow before him there. 348, first four cents.
another scripture that I can read. It's the first chapter of the first epistle of Peter. <clears throat> first chapter of the first epistle of Peter. <clears throat> of Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, <coughs> elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time wherein we greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor <coughs> and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen we love, in whom, though now we see him not, yet believing, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind be sober, and hope to the end for the grace 
that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance but as he which hath called you is holy so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written be ye holy for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of person judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you who by him who believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God seeing that ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren to see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Let us now attend to the law of the Lord. <clears throat> the God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thyself any graven image, nor the likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. 
Thou shalt not seek the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do no manner of work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass nor anything that is thy name. Our Father in heaven, thou who art the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, And in him are God and Father. It is to thee that we come. In our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is good for us to come unto thee. O Father, to draw nigh unto thee, to lift up our hearts unto thee, to enter thy presence, to pour out our hearts unto thee. And Father, we as thy children come unto thee constantly continually and sometimes Father the thought will enter our mind whether we cannot come unto thee too often when we consider that Thou art the great God who dwellest in eternity, who dwellest in the holy, 
thou, O Father, art light, a light, unto which no man can approach. And thou art the self-sufficient one, we know. And when we consider, Father, who we are, the creatures, and not only that, but sinful creatures, apart from Christ, dead in trespasses and sin. But, Father, we know that we cannot come unto thee too often. Yea, our drawing nigh unto thee is thy work in us. By thy grace thou art continually drawing us into thy presence. And thou dost call unto us to thy gospel, applied unto our hearts by thy spirit that we seek, that we ask, and that we knock, and we have the assurance, Father, of thee, that we find, and that we receive, and that the door is always open unto us. And, Father, thou hast provided the way for us, the way by which we come unto thee, that new way, that living way that Jesus has dedicated for us, the way that leadeth through the veil. And he, our Christ, is the way because he is the truth and the life. And he was made of us, of thee, the sanctification and righteousness and wisdom and redemption. And we know, O Father, that coming unto thee in him, we do certainly enter thy presence and are received of thee and blessed of thee. Because in him thou dost possess us, O Father, as thy children, as thy redeemed ones. And in him we know from thy gospel that we stand before thee, the holy and blameless in love. Father, we therefore come unto thee. And to whom else shall we go? but unto thee, for thou art the God of our salvation in Christ Jesus. And, Father, to know thee is life everlasting. This is thy glorious gospel unto us. This gospel, that we belong unto thee, and that we belong unto Jesus, our faithful Savior, who by his blood blotted out all our sins 
and delivered us from the power of the devil. This Father is thy glorious gospel unto us, namely, that thou art always with us, that thy mercy and thy goodness followeth us all the days of our life, that thou dost never leave thy people, that thou dost never forsake them, but that, Father, thou art always with us, uh, and that thy people, we are indeed thy eternal possession in Christ Jesus, in whom thou hast chosen us unto life everlasting. And we know, O Father, that we cannot be plucked out of thy hand and out of the hand of our mighty Savior, being grafted in him by a faith that is living and indestructible, because he, our Savior, ever liveth to pray for us, so that even now, Father, while we lie in the midst of death, we know that each of us, each of thy people, occupies his own place in thy house, and that from this place we shall never be moved. Father, we thank thee for all these goodnesses, for all thy loving kindnesses, for thy mercies unto us. And, Father, we know that we are ill-deserved and condemnable in ourselves, and that even as thy redeemed children, we do constantly pollute our way before thee. The such father is now our confession. As we pray unto thee, we know, Father, that as thy children, we do not serve thee with that zeal that we are bound. We know that we have daily to strive with the weaknesses of our faith and with the evil lusts of our flesh. But we confess before thee our sins and we are sorry for our sins. And Father, we know that with thee we find forgiveness and we taste that the Lord is gracious in the assurance that thou, Father, dost pardon all our iniquities, and that thou dost receive us as thy children. And we pray that thou wilt now be with us. We thank thee that anew thou hast drawn us into thy house, that we might appear before thy face, and that thou, Father, wilt speak thy word in our hearts. Oh, we know thou wilt. We know that thou art in our midst, according to thy promises. But such, Father, is our prayer. Now we beseech thee that thou wilt make abundant room in our hearts for thy gospel, 
that, Father, we may be hungry and thirsty, that we may desire, truly desire, that sincere milk of the word, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to eat his flesh and to drink his blood, which we do spiritually. We believe in him by thy mercy, and believing in him, we know, Father, according to thy gospel, that we have life in ourselves abiding, and that thou wilt raise us up in the last day. Father, wilt thou then be in our midst and bless us, and that we may be serving thee in spirit and in truth, and be refreshed in thy house as we hear thy word, built up in our faith and instructed and admonished and thus nourished according to the inner man and girded on with strength from thy sanctuary to be thy servants in the midst of this world and to bear the reproach of our Lord Jesus Christ and to war thy warfare as knowing that we have the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ and that thou wilt give unto thy little flock the kingdom. Father, we pray for this flock, for its leaders. Bless the consistory, Father. Bless the elders. Wilt thou qualify them mightily for the duties of their office, and bless the deacons, that their ministry may reflect the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And bless every sheep, dear Father, of this flock. And we thank thee that a brother is again with us to worship with us who has been removed from our midst, prevented from going up to thy house by illness. Father, thou art granting him recovery. Could it be, Father, wilt thou give him complete recovery in order that he ere long again may take his place among us and we pray that thou wilt so be with all our sick here and elsewhere. Father, they need thee. We so do need thee, Father, when we are ill. Because then we must thank thee and we must humble ourselves under thy mighty hand. And we must confess from the heart, Father, that thou dost chastise the Son, that thou dost love us. And we must thank thee for the pain that thou dost cause us. And confess, Father, that in all thy dealings with thy people thou art activated by fathomless love. And that through all the experiences of life thou dost advance our salvation. That thou dost chastise thy people in order that they might become partakers of thy holiness. So that, Father, we have indeed as thy children abundant reason to rejoice always, to rejoice in tribulation, as we do by thy mercy. 
Father, we pray that thou wilt be with all our churches, be with our missionary minister who is uh, active elsewhere beyond the pale of our churches. Care for him. Bless him, sustain him, and comfort him, O Father. Grant that he may experience thy nearness. Encourage him constantly, and that he too may know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified among that people whom he is working. Father, we pray for thy blessing upon our schools, our Christian schools, upon the teachers, upon the pupils. Uh, we pray, Father, that through all these various means of grace, means of thine, uh, that thou wilt gather thy church in our midst, and that thy kingdom may come, to uh, be with our young men in the service. Care for them, Father, wilt thou fill them with thy grace, in order that by thy grace they may be fortified against all the temptations which they are constantly exposed, that they may walk with thee and experience thy nearness and the power of thy grace in their lives. Father, we pray that thou wilt so be with all thy people, with all thy church, as it is spread over the length and breadth of the world, that thy people, that all such who call upon thee but their confidence in thee. May stand firm, Father, in the faith and rejoice that Jesus is at thy right hand, our Christ, and that thou hast given unto him all power in heaven and on earth, and that he rules, reigns in the midst of his enemies, and that he must reign until all his enemies shall have been made his footstool, and that thou hast given this mighty Christ to be the head over all things in the church, our Savior. And we know, Father, that our lives are hidden with him indeed, and that when he shall appear, all thy people, thy whole church, will appear with him in glory, and that thy tabernacle will be among us, and that we shall see thee as thou art in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that thou wilt satisfy us everlastingly with thy likeness, for Christ's sake, in whose name we pray. Amen. You will find in this chapter that was read to you, the first chapter of the first epistle of Peter, and the verses 23 through 25. And the passage reads, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, 
and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you <coughs> thus far. <coughs> the being born again, it says the apostle. The born again. And this is the principal thought of this passage. The born again. So that I take this thought as my theme. The born again. And then let us in the first place attend to the fact as such. The born again. The two phase, the second phase, the question, the born of what? We have an answer to that question in this text. Born again of incorruptible seed. And finally, to confront the question, born by what? Namely, according to this text, this word of God, by the word of God, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The born again, says the apostle. The meaning, ye are born again. And then I would have you notice in the first place that this is not stated here merely as a doctrine. Uh, as a dogma, uh, but as a fact. The apostle does not say a man must be born again, uh, but he says being born again. Meaning, ye are born again. And, of course, uh, it means that the apostle in this passage is not addressing everybody. Uh, he is uh, speaking, uh, he is coming here with this gospel to a particular people, to a very definite people. And, of course, we learn from the context who this people is, to whom uh, the apostle here addresses this gospel. We learn this from the context from the 21st verse, uh, which contains this statement, who by him do believe in God, that is, who by Jesus Christ do believe in God, and then in the 22nd verse, seeing that he hath purified their souls in obeying the truth. This is the people then, to whom the Apostle is here speaking and addressing this gospel, namely, the people who through Christ believe in God and the people who purify their souls in obeying the truth 
by the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Unto this people the apostle is here speaking. And uh, you must notice here the reasoning of the apostle. Uh, being born again. That is, ye are born again. The apostle's reasoning is this. You believe through Christ in God and you purify your soul in obeying the truth because you are born again. In other words, because you are born again, you believe in God through Christ and purify your soul in obeying the truth. That is here the reasoning of the apostle. And uh, I call your attention to this for a reason. Let me state this reason. Well, here's one of the reasons. Uh, you are, of course, all acquainted, well acquainted with uh, this famous revival, revivalist, uh, Billy Graham. Now, Mr. Graham, and I know what I'm talking about because I have read it myself in his book. Mr. Graham reverses this order. According to Mr. Graham, you first believe in Jesus. That is, as he expresses it, you first receive Jesus as your personal Savior. You are born again. Of course, this is not the teaching of the Apostle Peter in this passage. This is what we call free willism, a conditional theology. But of course, we are going to adhere to the teachings of the Apostle Peter because he certainly knows what he's talking about speaking as he does as God's infallible organ of revelation. Well now let us concentrate on our text on the gospel of our text. A born again says the Apostle. And of course the question is just what does this mean? that you are born again. Well, it means, certainly, that you have been born twice. That's what it means. This is implicit in this word again. Ye are born again. Yes, you have been born twice. God's people are born twice. And I want to uh, be occupied with you for a few minutes on your first birth. Now, we were born first for the first time when we came forth out of the womb of our natural mother. Then we were born first. That was our first birth. Born when we were born from our earthly mother. But you see, there's this question. How did you come forth out of the womb of your earthly mother? Well, you know the answer to that question. We 
came forth from the womb of our earthly mother, the sinner, dead in sin. Is that true? Children of the devil, loving the lies of the devil and doing his work, and capable, only capable to produce out of ourselves spiritual and moral corruption. Now, I know you've heard this often, haven't you? But it's really a terrible truth, isn't it? Well, uh, that was our condition. In that condition, we were born first. In that condition, we came forth out of the womb of our earthy mother. And, of course, the question is, why? Well, the reason is, of course, that our earthly father who begot us was a person by nature dead in sin. He was flesh. And that holds true also for our earthly mother. She was flesh. She was sinful flesh. And you know what Jesus said to Nicodemus, namely this, that which is born of the flesh, namely sinful flesh, is flesh, is sinful flesh. That is to say, all that sinful flesh can produce out of itself is sinful flesh. And you see, there you have the answer to the question why we, why we were born first, the spiritual corpses dead, in trespasses and sin. Our earthy parents were, by nature, flesh, sinful flesh. Why? Because they had to be. Why? Because the guilt of Adam was imputed unto them and unto us all. And therefore, they had to be born to sinful flesh. And all that they could do is to produce out of themselves the sinful flesh. And all that we can do as parents is to produce out of ourselves sinful flesh. Yes, this is dogmatics, isn't it? You're well acquainted with it. But believe me, beloved, that's a terrible truth, isn't it? That all you can do as parents is to bring forth out of yourself the sinful flesh children that are corrupted. Well, you say, my parents were good Christian people. They were regenerated people, and so am I. Of course, I believe you. And therefore, I say by nature, your earthy parents were flesh, sinful flesh. And by nature, we as parents are sinful flesh. Of course, by nature. And therefore, all that we can do is, is to produce out of ourselves children that are corrupted, children of the devil. Oh, that's a, that's a terrible reality as you get into this. And you know, to think that God comes to you and says to you as parents, give me that child and I'll baptize that child of yours. And I'll wash it clean from all its sins in the blood of my, uh, of my son. Uh, what love is he true? 
course, I'm talking now about your elect children. You understand? Well, in that condition, we came forth out of our first parents. In other words, a man must be born again. He must be born again. You must be born again. Absolutely. Now that's what Jesus said to Nicodemus too, didn't he? He came to him at night of the Pharisees and uh, Jesus says to him, uh, a man must be born again if he's going to see the kingdom of heaven. A man must be born again. And of course, Judas, I mean to say Nicodemus, didn't understand, did he? He was confounded by that message of Jesus, perplexed. So he put the question to Jesus, well, how can a man be born when he is old? How is that possible? Can he again enter into his mother's womb and be born again? Oh, he didn't understand. That was a pity because he was a preacher. He was a doctor. He was a, he was a teacher in Israel. Well, you find more such preachers in the pulpits of the churches today. They don't understand the rudiments of the Christian religion. Well, that was the case with Nicodemus. He didn't understand. No. But Jesus says to him, look at here, Nicodemus. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. A man must be born again. Of course. Well, you see, uh, if that is true, what Jesus says, and certainly it is true, then, of course, it also follows that there must be other than that of our earthly mothers, from which a man can be born again. It stands to reason. If a man is going to be born again, there must be another womb from which a man can be born. Otherwise, he can't be born again. Is that true? So you see, it raises this question. Is there another womb from which a man is, can, is born again? Is there such another womb? Must be. You're going to be born again. Yes, of course. There is another womb from which a man can it is born again? What is that womb? Well, the answer to that question is this. That womb, beloved, is the almighty will of God. That is that womb. We, as God's people, are born again. We, that we are born from that almighty, that creative will of God. 
that were not the case, how could you be a child of God? In order to be children of God, in order to be sons of God, of course, we must be born of God. And you are. That is the implication of your being born of God. Born of his almighty creator will. Yes, that of course is the same teachings of the scripture. That we are born from the will of God, not from his essence, not from his being. No, that is heresy. Don't ever say that. When we come forth out of the essence, out of the being of God, that is not true. That heresy is known by a strange word, uh, pantheism. No, we're not pantheists. No, but as children of God, we do come forth out of God. We have our origin in God, namely in his will. Of course, that is the gospel. You know the scripture? Well, you have that statement in, uh, in James where he says, uh, his will, by his will, he begat us. And then I have another statement here. I always like to uh, assure you that I'm, the ideas that I present are surely scriptural. You have this passage here in John 3, verse 9. Whosoever is born of God, beloved, you're born of God. Of course, and therefore you look like God, too. Otherwise, that would be impossible. I mean spiritually. You partake of the divine nature. And when you're in heaven, you're going to look just like God. Of course, children look like their parents, don't they? Well, you see then, I've already partly answered this question. It is this. How did we, or do we, come forth out of the will of God? Not certainly as children who are corrupted, because God cannot produce corruption, of course. He's not the fountain of sin. No, but the fact is this, that we came forth out of the womb of the will of the almighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ as new creatures, new creatures in Christ Jesus, new creatures. And consider new creatures, creatures absolutely sinless, righteous and sinless in the Lord Jesus Christ. But of course, how could it be otherwise? As I just said, God cannot bring forth corruption. Uh, he is not the fountain of sin, the origin of sin. Of course not. Well, we came forth. We were born of God as new creatures, as sinless creatures, and that new creature cannot sin. Cannot sin. That's what I read here. Whosoever is born of God does not sin. Cannot sin. I read here. Cannot sin. Because he's born of God, he cannot sin. I say this new man, this new creature cannot sin. Oh, you sin. Don't deny that, of course. I'm talking now about regenerated people of God. They do sin, all right. Sin continuously. But you sin in your flesh. And you're responsible, too. Don't forget that. 
You're responsible for those sins that you commit in your flesh as regenerated people of God. You're responsible. Oh, I know you're not responsible in this sense, that you have to atone for those sins. Jesus Christ assumed responsibility of all your sins, and he atoned all your sins. You're not responsible for your sins in that sense. No, but you're responsible. You know, I've talked with people, Protestant people, who tried to tell me that we are children of God who are no longer responsible for our sins. Well, don't never let that thought take root in your soul, because that is not true. How about David? You know what it means that we're responsible? It simply means this, that when you sin, God calls you to account. And he says to you, what did you do? That's what he said to David too, didn't he? You know his adulteries and his murders, in which he fell, and then God sent, said to him, David, what did you do? He was responsible. And you know what God said to him, how he chastised him, not punished him. God doesn't punish his children. That would imply that your sins are unatoned. No, but he lays his rod upon you. And you know what he said to David. The sword shall not depart from your house. And I'll tell you, David never again laughed in his life. He didn't. All he did is to cry. So don't tell me that you're not responsible, that we as people of God are not responsible in that sense for us. Oh, yes. Well, to get back to this text here. As new creatures in Christ Jesus, we that do not sin, we cannot sin, that new creature cannot sin, that is impossible. Oh, it is true that all the good works of that new creature are polluted with the issues of the flesh. That is true. But that new creature cannot sin. He doesn't sin. Well, that's what it means that uh, we are born of God. Now, I want to ask you a question. Uh, are you born again? Are you born again? Well, you know, sometimes we have difficulty in determining whether we're born again. Well, that can be explained. The question is put to us, are, are you born again? And uh, often we, we will answer with a shrug of the shoulder. We say, I hope so. Uh, sometimes I, I believe I am, and then again I, 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 I don't. I doubt. Well, of course that can be explained. That is due to the fact that we are so sinful, don't you see? But, you know, it shouldn't be too difficult. It shouldn't be too difficult to determine whether you're born again. That shouldn't be too difficult, should it? You know, you know that you were born uh, for, for the first time, don't you? If somebody would try to persuade you that you uh, were not born, had not been born, have not been born from the fir first time, from early parents, uh, why, of course, uh, no amount of argumentation could, uh, could persuade you uh, that you were not born for the first time. You know you are. Uh, why? Well, you say, because I exist. Well, you know you can't really prove it if it comes down to the point, but you're absolutely certain of it because you know that you exist. Why, you say, I can see, and I can hear, and I can walk, and I can talk, and I can think. Of course, you know that you exist. Well, you see, it isn't really any different in the 
healed of the spiritual. You see, if a man is born again, he certainly exists as a new creature in Christ Jesus. But if a man is born again, he can see spiritually see the kingdom. And are you born again? Yes. That man can run. He runs the way of God's command. He's born again. Are you born again? He walks spiritually. He walks with God. Are you born again? Yes, he does. He hears the word of God spiritually. He's born again. He confesses his sin. He comes in the dust before God. Are you born again? You know that's not too difficult to become. You know they say that the first thing an infant child does is to cry. Well, I think we as parents will agree that that is the truth. About the first thing an infant, newborn baby does is to cry. Well, that is true also of a newborn baby in Christ. About the first thing he does is to cry. And his cry is, Oh God, be merciful unto me a sinner. And that continues to be his cry as long as he is this, is in this life. Is that your cry? Is it the serious question? Well, beloved, if so, then you're born again. You're born again. Absolutely. And don't let the devil talk this out of your head, you see, of course. You're born again. Well, I think I can go on to the, uh, well, this thought yet, and answer the question what does it mean that we're born of God, of His will? Well, it means in the first place, as I already explained, that we come forth out of God, born of God, as new creatures. But something must be added to this as sinless creatures. Creatures that cannot see. You see, that cannot see, that do not see. As sinless creatures. Well, of course, this was true of Adam too. He too, of course, was born of God. God created him according to his image, and he came forth out of the will of God, a sinless man. You know that. But there's a difference. Adam as born of God, was a earthy sinful man. I mean to say sinless man. But we are heavenly sinless people. Heaven. We were heavenly people because we're born out of the will of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, as Christ puts it, born of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is it. Heavenly or sinless people. That's the gospel of this text. It is part of it. Well, I think we can go on to our second point. And that's this. The born out of God. Yes, but then my text says, born not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. That's something to think about. Well, now, this statement here in this passage should not strike us extreme. Namely, that this new creature is born of seed. 
Let's submit. This new creature is born of seed. See? I say this should not uh, strike us as strange because the fact is that all, all living organisms are born from seed. We know that, don't we? All living organisms, the plants, animals, and men, are all born from a seed. Yes, that's true. Uh, if you hold in your hand an acorn, then really you hold in the palm of your hand an entire oak tree. You realize that? Because that entire oak tree is potentially present in that seed. Don't you see? And you put that seed in the ground, the farm, put the seed in the soil of the ground, you plant it. And then God comes with his rain and sunshine, and that seed germinates. And there along you see the new plant urging its way above the soil of the ground. The plant has been born from that seed. Well, now that's, of course, a wonderful thing. You don't understand a, a thing about it. We don't know much if it comes down to the point. We think we do, especially if we've been to college and can write a part of the alphabet back to our name. We think we know quite a little, but really we don't know anything. We don't really know, that is to say, comprehend this, this thing that I'm talking about, the germination of that seed and the, and, 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 uh, the, the, the birth of that seed, uh, the plant from that seed. You see it before your eyes, but you don't understand a thing about it. You don't. You don't understand your life, the origin of life, death. You see, it's God's work. And all God's works are mysteries. Before you understand your own work, you make an automobile or you build a house or whatever it may be, you understand that, that thing because you made it, but you don't understand God's work. All God's works are mysteries. And God is the mystery. He's the mystery. You can't understand him. You can't fathom him. He will eternally defy your powers of penetration. All you can do is to love him by his grace and to worship him. You can do that. Yes. Well, here too, this thing that I'm talking about, the germination, germination of that seed, that plant, born of that seed. It, it's a mystery. It's a miracle. You don't understand it. See? You don't understand it. No, you see, some people, we call them unbelievers, they are unbelievers. They don't want to uh, believe in such uh, truths as the, uh, well, let us say, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection and so forth. Well, they say it isn't reasonable. I, why, why don't you want to believe in these things? Well, it isn't reasonable. Somehow, oh, no, it isn't reasonable. It, it, it's a mystery, uh, yeah. But you see... These same people are not bonded by mysteries at all when they sit with their both feet under the table. Because that very food on your table is a mystery, of course. You don't understand that either. We're only bonded with mysteries when we're confronted with the command to flee from the Lord Jesus Christ. Bothered with uh, mysteries, yes. Yeah. Well, now let me step over into the field of the spirit. You see, the, the natural here is a, is a 
what we call a symbol of the spiritual. That's always the case. Therefore, you can present these things, of course, by means of these illustrations in such a simple way that even these, these children can understand it. You see, that is also true of this new creature. That new creature in Christ Jesus is born of a seed. Of course he is born of a seed. And what is that seed? Well, that seed is the new life, the regeneration that God implants in the bosom of his elect. That is that seed. That's the seed from which you are born. Yes, when God implants that new life, that principle of new life into the soul uh, of an intellect, then that man, by nature dead in sin, is born essentially, essentially born. When you put the seed in the ground, that plant is essentially born because that seed immediately begins to germinate. But it takes some time, of course, before that you see that seed the born of the, that plant, the born of that seed, urging its way above the soil of the ground. That takes some time. But when that takes place, and you see that plant, born of that seed, appearing above the ground, then you say that plant is born in the more comprehensive sense. So you can distinguish there, too, with respect to these creatures, between the essential birth and the appearing of the new plant. Well, that holds true here, too. That God puts that seed, that new principle of life, into his people. That is being reborn in the essential sense. Uh, but it doesn't take long before that new man, that new plant, born of that seed, appears. And that's the new man. And of course, when that new man appears, you can see it. Because that new man is happy. Of course, he is. As I said a moment ago, he sees and he hears. Yes. And he, and he gets fed. And he fights the good thing, the fight of things. And he glories in the God of his salvation. You can see that man, don't you see? Well, when here the apostle here talks about this seed, he means a new life of regeneration. I want to say something about this seed. This is a wonderful seed. This new life of regeneration. There's no seed like it. What is characteristic of this seed? Of course, it is a spiritual seed, that in the first place. But the text tells me that it is incorruptible. It's incorruptible. It can't corrupt. And therefore, of course, that new creature that is born of that seed can't corrupt either. That's impossible because that seed cannot corrupt. It abideth eternally. Now that, of course, is not true of any natural seed. I can show you that in a minute. I'll take a large seed that you can see. Uh, for example, I'll take as an illustration a potato seed. Well, now, I'm not a farmer, but I know this much. I know this. You put that potato seed in the ground, you plant it in the soil in the ground, and you dig it up again, say, after two weeks, what do you discover? You discover that that seed is in the process of decay, corruption. It smells, it stinks. You know that. 
You put that potato seed back in the ground again, and ere long it will have returned to the dust completely. Decayed. Corrupted. Gone. That, of course, is also a picture of us. How we die. And as to our early man, return to the dust. That seed is corruptible. I'm talking now about that natural seed. And therefore, the, the plant that is born from that seed also corrupts. That potato plant, for example, only lasts for a season. And, 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 and that plant returns to the dust. It decays. But now suppose that that seed was incorruptible. Well, don't you see that that plant born of that seed would certainly, to say the least, live much longer? Well, that is the case with this seed of which my text is speaking. In the spiritual sense, it is incorruptible. That's the idea. And therefore, that new creature born of this seed is incorruptible. Cannot corrupt. Which means, of course, that the seed cannot, this new man born of this seed, cannot sin. Cannot sin. I said a moment ago. I read that right here in this picture. Let me read it to you again. John 3, verse 9. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin because his seed remaineth in him. His seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. No. That seed never corrupts. The creature born of this seed never cut up. It cannot. And that means, of course, that you never die. You never die. You're afraid of death? Well, yes. But let me tell you, you know this is You never die. You cannot die. Jesus says that we, he that believeth in me is the Son hath life abiding in him, and I will raise him up in the last day. And then further on in that sixth chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus says, He that believeth in me cannot die. He will not die. You don't die. You can never die again if you're regenerated child of God. Oh, this early man, of course, dies. That's what the is. But this new creature born of the seed of the dying Incorruptible. God will raise you up in the last day. Yes, when the earthy house, the house of this earthy tabernacle is dissolved, says Paul, we have a building with God. Immediately, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You can't die. So you don't have to be afraid of death. No. Not at all. Well, that's the implication of this text. Never die. And you see, this truth here, the apostle expresses by means of a figure. I want to call your attention, just a moment, to this figure. He says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. That's a figure, of course. As I said a moment ago, the natural is a symbol, a picture of the heavenly. 
Well, here the apostle uh, directs our attention to an urgent thing. He talks here of a flower. He talks here of the grass. Of the grass. For all flesh is his grass. He's talking about you. And then he, and then he makes mention here of a flower. The flower in the field. Well, that flower is also a symbol. It's a picture of you. Of you. Yes, you know, when we're young, we're beautiful. He's talking here about natural beauty. Yes, children are really beautiful if they have their health. When I look at a little child, I say, flower, beautiful flower. What a beautiful flower. When we're young, we're beautiful. But you see, as we grow older, our beauty fades, isn't it? Doesn't it? It fades, it disappears. The older you become, well, let me express this rather rudely, the homelier you become. Yeah, the homelier. Your hair turns gray or it falls out, you lose your teeth and your face gets full of wrinkles, and oh, it's awful, and then finally you die. And your beauty is gone. We don't like that. As we grow older, we keep on looking at ourselves in the looking glass. And we say, my. And then we might go to the drugstore, of course, and buy a bottle of beauty and put it on. But you really, you know, don't help. No, that, that is only natural beauty. You see, it is tame. It's like that flower with the grass. It is not the real beauty. What is the real beauty? Well, I'll tell you what real beauty is. True beauty is the outshine of inward holiness. That's true beauty. And therefore, of course, in heaven, God's people are going to be very beautiful because Jesus Christ, of course, is going to raise them up in the glorious body of the resurrection. There won't be any homeless people in heaven. Not any old people either. Not any shriveled up people. And hunchbacks and, and lame and hulks and so forth and so forth. No, we'll all be very beautiful because we will be there with the beautiful body of the resurrection. And that beauty of the resurrected body is the outshining, the eternal outshining of our pure heart of this new man that cannot sin. Well, that's what he means by this spirit. He says here, for all grass, he says, for all flesh is his grass. That's right. It's natural beauty. And all the glory of man, his beauty, is the flower of the grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But now, find me this word. The word of the Lord endureth forever. The word of the Lord. That doesn't pass. What does he mean here by the word of the Lord? Well, it's not in the first place the preached word, the preached gospel. No, but this word here, the word of the Lord, is the word of his power. You know, only God has this word, such a word. He calls the things that are, that are not, as though they were. And as a result of that speaking of God, the thing appears. Here's an illustration from the first day of creation. That God said, let there be light. And there was light. Instantaneously, immediately. We don't have that kind of a word. 
You can't say, let there be this or that. And it isn't so that the thing appears as a result, as a result of your decision. No, but we call the things attributes. Well, that is the word that we talk to you the thinking of. The word of God's power. Yes, the apostle says, well, let me say this first. God said, let there be a light, and there was light. And so God said, let there be that new seed in that sinner, in that elect sinner, dead by nature in sin. No, he is dead when God regenerates. He's spiritually dead. And that seed appears. And the Lord says, let there be a new creature growing from that seed. Coming from that seed. And lo, it is so. It happens. It is place. Yes, it is. Well, that is the word that uh, the apostle is here speaking about in this first part of the text. And he says, that word of God, that word of God abideth forever. You know, that simply means this, that God never speaks, ceases to speak this word. He will eternally continue to speak this word. He will eternally continue to say, through Christ, in his spirit, he will continue to say to your new man that is in heaven, abide, abide, abide. He will continue to speak eternally. You know, some people imagine that when the saint is in heaven, that the glorified saint, that he will be there independent of God and of Christ. He'll be on his own. Now, that's not true. That's not true. I talked to a man here some years ago. Probably four men, and he had that idea. Well, I said, brother, that is not true, but I had quite a time persuading him that he was mistaken. You know, God's informed people can get funny ideas and they have stupid things. Well, here you had an example. He had that idea. I said, well, no, brother, that can't be true. Jesus Christ is the mediator of an eternal covenant, and he is eternally our true bread of life and the living water. And eternally we will live out of God through Christ. Eternally he will be the channel of grace. And here you have the same idea of grace. This word of God that abideth forever, it means that God through Christ, as I said a moment ago, continues to speak that we exist and continue to exist. We will eternally, everlastingly exist by this word of God. It's Abiding and endure forever according to his promise. Right here in the text. Well, says the apostle finally, and this is the word by which the gospel is preached And this is the word. This is the word. Namely, what I'm preaching unto you now. This gospel. This, this work of God. Yes. That we are born of God as children of God from this seed and by his word. Well, this word, says the apostle, and I could broaden out on this, of course, the salvation that God prepared for his people through Christ Jesus. And it parts unto his people. Well, says the apostle, that word, that great work of God, that is preached among you by the gospel. You find it in the gospel. You find it here. You find it in the gospel. Don't you see? 
That word, says the Apostle Peter to the people to whom he addresses this epistle in the first century, this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. I preached it to you this morning. It's being preached unto you continually from this pulpit. And you need that word. I distinguished a moment ago between regeneration in that potential sense and the new man that is born of that seed. Well, as the new man, you need this word. You need Christ. You need Christ. You know that? You need Christ. You need Christ every moment. And that's why God draws you into his house. You need the gospel as food and drink. That new creature, that new man needs this gospel. It's his food and drink. He grows thereby. He desires, says the apostle elsewhere, for the sincere milk of the word. That's this Christ as we see him in the glass of this word. You need him. And therefore, of course, Christ is instituted into his church, the preaching ministry, and therefore he wants you here, and therefore he gives unto his people ears to hear, not unto the others. They can't get interested in a sermon like this. They sit here and they're bored. They look all over and they can't give me their attention. It's not interesting. That's a sad case. That's the case to the person if he's not born again. He doesn't need this word. He has no hunger. He has no thirst. That's terrible. But that's not your case, is it? I preached to you the gospel. Was it music in your ears? Was it a sweet song that reverberates in your heart? Did your heart reach out for it? Did, did you eat and did you drink? Are you satisfied? Are you comforted? Are you instructed? Are you grown in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, that's what this word is for. Of course, the new man needs the word. You need it. And you've eaten this morning, haven't you? And you're satisfied. Because I brought you the gospel. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we come unto thee in this morning hour at the close of this sermon. We ask thee that thou wilt speak it in our hearts. Blessed unto our hearts. And we pray, Father, that thou wilt feed us. Thou must feed us. Thou must open our mouth. And we eat. That is also thy work, because thou wast both the will and the doing. We are born of thee, O God, and from that seed, which is also thy creation, all is thine, so that it is so true that out of thee and unto thee, and therefore also, no, out of thee and by thee, through thee, and therefore also unto thee, are all things. So that to thee alone is due all the credit, all the glory, and the thanksgiving. Amen.